I think I re need to remix the music at some point. You can't really hear the bass line in that, can you? You know, it's got this sort of bum 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 bum. So it goes sort of, sort of plays off the guitar riff. I entered that manually on GarageBand, you know, playing playing their picture of a bass uh, to do that because I do not own a bass. I have a guitar, I have a drum set. Um, so those are things that were recorded live using the iPhone mic. So anyway, this is the Ranting Soccer Dad podcast for March 7th, 2018. I'm your host, Bo Dewar, and I might be getting back onto my regular regular schedule now, uh, which was weekly on Wednesdays. Um, it just so happens that um, when I came out of the Olympics, I did an interview last week with Julie Foudy that uh, we did that interview on a Thursday, and I had the podcast released later Thursday. I don't think it got the visibility that I wanted. So, in fact, if you haven't listened to the Julie Foudy podcast, please pause this one. Go back and listen to that one. Because we really solved every problem in U.S. soccer. We talked about everything. Uh, talked about what she expects as a youth soccer parent. It's sort of an interesting thing to hear from a Hall of Fame player, don't you think? So it's great to get her perspective on that and on the election. We even talked about the Athletes Council, the ever-controversial Athletes Council. Go back and listen to that one. Then come back and listen to this one, where my guest is the executive director of Say Soccer. His name is Doug Wood. Honestly, I was not that familiar with the program until this conversation. Uh, it is another recreational organization, although they are building up, as you'll hear in the course of the conversation, some more advanced programs. So it, it is accessible to anyone who lives in an area and in fact they go through schools a good bit which is really interesting to me because I think that that's something we overlook we I'm not so sure it's a great idea to separate uh, clubs youth clubs from schools because schools have two things one they have facilities two they have kids Th their programs interesting uh, please do listen to that conversation which will follow at the end of today's rant and today's rant really i just have a couple of um, business things to to point out one is if you go to rantingsoccerdad.com you will see something new in the menu bar which is um, the guide to youth soccer this is my big project that i've been hinting at for a little while and it finally occurred to me that i shouldn't do a book it didn't make much sense to do a book because books are instantly outdated uh, when everything is moving around so quickly. I mean, suppose I did a book and then the day after it was published, two major national organizations merged or split or something. Instantly, the book would be outdated. So what I'm doing instead is that I'm putting material available online through Patreon. I need to get working on that. And it's going to take me at least another week or so to really get running on that um, for a variety of reasons. Um, one is I I signed up for, this is my last PTA volunteering thing at this school, uh, which is good because it is kicking my ass as much as uh, some of the others have. <laughs> and that'll be done as of Saturday. And then I can relax and really focus on this project. So that is the the big project to, to work on. The other thing, I've 
been involved in a couple of conversations recently talking about you know what has always been the favorite topic of the uh the soccer the online soccer coffee house you might say which is promotion and relegation this is not some foreign concept to me i i have been aware of the concept of promotion and relegation for about 40 years because i grew up watching soccer made in germany i have followed it my whole life since then i have I mean, it was difficult to do so because you didn't just turn on the TV in the 1980s and watch Premier League the way you do now. Uh, but I would read Soccer America or I listen to shortwave radio. I have vivid memories of listening to the BBC on the last day of the uh, of the season in England and hearing how, you know, Coventry City escaped again. It, it, we forget when we look at Coventry now and they're just sort of a run-of-the-mill, you know, football league team in the lower tiers. Uh, how they were the great escape artists of the Premier League for so long, or or the First Division before that. They were around for a very long time. But once they fell, they fell. And they're not coming back anytime soon. Which is one of the things that is worth considering. And that's... People don't understand that if you really want to reform U.S. pro soccer, if you really want to start from scratch and say, okay, look, let's take what we have, which are clubs, and look, I know people hate it when I say MLS clubs. I'm sorry, they're clubs. They, are, they have a owner they ha- or ownership group. They have supporters. They have academies. They're clubs. Yes, they're also franchises, but, you know, Whatever, Maybe, you know, you want to talk about how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, or do you want to get somewhere in this conversation? I want to get somewhere in this conversation. I'm I'm sick of the entrenchment. As a journalist, I think it's you know, it's not necessarily my place to advocate for any one thing. Um, it's my place to give information, and to give analysis, and to push things forward. So I I am what I sometimes like to call aggressively objective, which is that I will question just about anything, and then I will point out different ways of doing things. I mean, and I dislike, very much so, um, sweeping generalizations, such as, oh, you don't understand because you're American, or pro-rel is important because it just is. I, that has, and that's been consistent for me for a couple of decades now. We really have been discussing promotion and relegation for decades. Honestly, we haven't quite gotten anywhere at this point, and part of it is that we're just so... It's the entrenchment of things. If you really want to get somewhere, well, you need to start thinking about it creatively because you're not going to just suddenly tell U.S. soccer and MLS owners, hey, you know, your club could be relegated. You know, hey, you know, City of Columbus, thank you for rallying around the crew and for, you know, giving us a tax break. Let, let's, this is a hypothetical, of course. This has, I'm not breaking news here and saying that the crew have been saved by the City of Columbus. But suppose they did, and suppose they gave a tax break or something or offered to help in some way. And then we immediately turned around and said, oh, and by the way, your club might be relegated. Yeah, good luck with that. 
but there are creative ways of doing these things and I've been pushing for several of them uh, for so long and I'm probably going to come out with another one pretty soon because I really think there are ways that you can have the excitement of promotion relegation and yet have some built-in stability. The devil's in the details. But that's what I'm doing. And, and, and when I say the excitement of promotion relegation, what I really mean is you know, the opportunity. Because what, what I've finally you know, distilled out of the more legitimate promotion relegation advocacy movements is that what they really want is opportunity. They want a chance for a club to be able to move up for a municipality that isn't in the lucky 24 or 26 uh, clubs that are in MLS to have a chance to move up. I've heard good counter arguments which say that, well, what opportunities do you have in Scotland right now? You have the opportunity to move up to the Premier League and essentially wave at Celtic as they crush you. Uh, you don't really have the opportunity to move up beyond that because there's no parity structure to keep things in, to keep things relatively even. Yes, we all know about um, we all know about Leicester City, but Leicester City is the exception. Leicester City is the once in a lifetime aberration. You know that does not happen often. It's usually just the same clump full of teams. In fact, England is actually more wide open than most places. Um, in Spain, you have, what, two or three contending teams usually. So when I say opportunity, I, I really think we can come up with a system that has more opportunity than the typical European league. I think it's possible. It just bothers me when people don't want to hear it. You know, they, they just figure that the ladder, because let's be clear, it's not a pyramid, it's a ladder. For the most part, you know, it's division one, two, three, and four. And, you know, finally in, in England, when you finally get to division six, you know, then it splits up in the north and south. And then it becomes, uh, you know, division seven is where you get to sort of the older traditional amateur leagues that are spread out across the country and, and so forth until you get to like division, you know, 10 and 11. And then you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of, of clubs. I'm looking at the possibility of a pyramid that has opportunity for everyone, that also has stability, that keeps you from falling too far unless you're just not meeting any benchmarks. That's what I'm looking to, to build here. So, so watch RantingSoccerDad.com uh, for something along those lines. In the meantime... We're going to be talking about youth soccer here, and we're going to be talking about... This conversation is not just about rec soccer. This conversation is about youth soccer in general and U.S. soccer in general. Uh, it goes into a lot of issues that came up in the presidential election um, about U.S. soccer's role. Is U.S. soccer trying to tell you, you in your community, are they trying to dictate to you what to do when you know that what they're telling you to do isn't really going to work. Is that what's, what's happening? And in some cases, it, it almost certainly is. And so we talk about that. So we, this is a good opportunity to learn about, say, soccer. 
but it's also much more than that. This is interesting view from the grassroots stuff here. There's such an alphabet soup of organizations. In some cases, that may not be such a bad thing. In some cases, having these different approaches may be helpful. So here's this week's interview. Doug Wood, Executive Director, Say Soccer. Here today with Doug Wood from Say Soccer. And for those who don't know, can you tell us what Say Soccer is? Uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, Say Soccer is a national organization member of U.S. Soccer Federation. So we're, you know, one of those pathways to affiliation. Uh, for primarily the recreational player, that's what we're really known for. Um, we have a 50-year history. We just uh, celebrated 50 years last uh, last year, so pretty uh, big occasion for us. We've been around for a while. Uh, most people in the Midwest have grown up playing recreationally with, say, soccer at one point or another. Um, although we are in 33 states, um, really the Midwest is where we're strong. So if you say we're in Texas, for example, we don't dominate Texas. We're in, you know, Houston, San Antonio, uh, Austin, and so a little bit spotty. But again, the organization has really grown into a little bit more than recreation over the years. Uh, so now we're kind of entering into a little more competitive play for a variety of reasons, which we can talk about later. But um, that's really, um, you know, the nuts and bolts of what we do is recreation. And so is it something where if, if I'm a parent, do I sign on with the league or do I sign on with a club that happens to be a member of, of the league? Yeah, good question. You actually sign on with the club, and we actually use the verbiage area and district. So the area is mm -hmm. the larger entity, and the district is the smaller entity. So if you think of, you know, where we're at uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio, we have, you know, one of the larger leagues there would be Cincinnati East. And Cincinnati East covers, you know, a pretty large, you know, the eastern side of the city, actually. And then – you know, the districts are going to be your organizational schools. You know, it, it might be a private school, for example, or a Catholic school that's part of that area. And then the residential district might be the community or municipality where you live as where you sign your child up. So the area and district is broken into board members, let's say, you know, your president, VP, treasurer, secretary, uh, so there's the kind of parliamentary procedure or the way that they actually govern the league. So there's a definite pecking order uh, for the parent and the player and the coach. And so it's, it's very organized in that manner that's back to the 50-year anniversary. It's really stood the test of time to organize um, a sports league like that. And – so when you say Cincinnati East or something like that, is that all going to be one league? Is there like a promotion relegation within that, or how do you uh, how do you how do you keep competitive teams? Because I know the uh, AYSO model is basically to break up teams every season or at least every year. Uh, how you know how do you uh, essentially separate the teams, or is it simply a question of whoever signs up 
comes in as a team? That's, you know, another really good question. And I, I believe this model has really evolved over time. So if you look back to 1970s or when I was a young man playing say soccer in Ohio, uh, which I did, it was very much random assignment to a team, you know. So you, you just went to the local Kroger's or whatever grocery store or church where you signed up, and you signed up. You did not do it online, believe it or not. Did it with pencil and paper, <laughs> and you signed up, and uh, you were you were put on the the yellow team, you know. You you were you were put on the purple team, and you played. And we tried to, as an organization, make that as equitable as possible. Uh, you know, by by birth year or, or at the time, you know, fall to spring. So you're trying to get equitable ages. You're trying to get equitable, in some cases, experience levels um, on the team. So very much random. And I can attest to being a coach in a, say, soccer league that sometimes that model doesn't always work out. You can get a team full of less experienced children and get hammered, you know, Ten nothing. So, so that does happen. That happens in say soccer. I think it happens in recreational leagues and playing circuits across the country. And, and it's kind of a unintended consequence of trying to randomize things. Um, but you know, if, if you think of how the game has evolved, we have some uh, leagues uh, or areas, let's say, that are involved with us that actually play for a couple weeks after the random assignment and then redraw the teams after two or three weeks to hmm. kind of, you know, readjust things, which is extremely interesting to me that it's like, wow, administratively, that's you're, – you're biting off a big piece of cake. So um, then we also have leagues that are a little less traditional and don't fit our model as well, but we still try to service them uh, feeling that, you know – uh, what works in Cincinnati or what worked 50 years ago might not work today. So we go into that organization and say, you know, what are you do doing? How does it fit with our model? How can we adjust and how can we serve you? So, you know, with that in mind, we do have areas and districts that are not in the traditional mold of, say, soccer, um, but still fit in that they're trying to provide an equitable place for the kids to play in a fun, safe environment and get as many kids participating as we possibly can. So, you know, that, that kind of lends to why we're a little bit unique in a space that, you know, the youth soccer market can be a little rigid. You know, you must do this. You have to sign up this way, and this is the way we do it. So, Yeah, so, so it sounds like it's a little less top-down than – than some organizations are, and it sounds almost like you're more of a provider of resources. And I have seen, if you go to the Say Soccer site, I, I do see a few resources there. And uh, I think the one that uh, most interests me here, and, and I think, well, I think it interests a lot of people, is an issue in the presidential campaign. It's been an issue for a while, is uh, coaching education. And so what do you offer and what do you require, if anything, of uh, of coaches in your organization? So what we try to do, and so so you'll hear us use a term called reasonable flexibility. You'll hear mm -hmm. me use a lot of ter terms that I I try to coin, and <laughs> but that that's one of them that is kind of what's reasonable here. Um, let's use a little common sense, and and so the reasonable flexibility in coaching comes in to say, you know, it'd be very easy to go to 
Frank or Nico or the top people at U.S. Soccer and go, wow, you're doing this grassroots coaching education program and, you know, we're going to mandate uh, that everybody does this series for 4v4, 77.99, whatever. <laughs> and, and wouldn't that be great? And that's the path of least resistance. And that's easy. I can do that and then go do whatever I want to do or on to the next thing. But that really one size fits all doesn't have reasonable flexibility because some people either don't have the financial means, they don't have the volunteer, you know, the human resource that, that it takes to implement, you know, something of that magnitude. Sometimes they just don't want to do it because they're not all in. And we can talk about maybe a little bit of that later, that not every family or club or gaming circuit, soccer is not the end-all, be-all for them. So, they might not want to do the grassroots coaching education or they might not want to go to United Soccer Coaches and and go all the way to the advanced national diploma or, or whatever. So to your to your question, we offer three really primary ways to gain education. One is the US soccer pathway. Traditionally that has been difficult for us to uh, bring to our membership because it's all state association controlled. So if mm-hmm. you think about this in that I, as say soccer, let's say in my backyard competing for children or, and players with Ohio South, a state association, if I wanted to do a, a an e-course, I would have to go to them to organize it. And And to me, that's completely crazy, right? I should be going to Chicago or to Soccer House to organize that effort. So it's kind of like, how much do I want to really um, get in that space of delivering education via my competitor? Maybe it's Indiana Youth Soccer. And and that's not to say anything bad about U.S. Youth or those state associations. There's tons of great people in those organizations that I call friends, and they're doing great work. It's just a flawed system as a pathway to educate coaches. Um, now go go to the second part of that is that grassroots coaching education should change a lot of that. It should provide a more equitable pathway or a neutral pathway for our members to gain U.S. soccer education online and in person. So uh, they're they're looking to fix that that flaw, which I think is fantastic. Uh, the second way that say soccer educates coaches is through the United Soccer Coaches, and we have all kinds of resources where basically they can do online in-person training. Say Soccer does a little bit of subsidization or, or provides a subsidy for our members if they would like to host those courses. Um, and then thirdly, which we do with a lot of the things we do, we, we just kind of custom tailor it. So I hired a uh, national education uh, manager. Her name's Erica True, and she came on board with us last year. She is fantastic. She's coached over 15 years at the collegiate level, Indiana University, uh, Indiana State, Creighton, I believe. And she has really brought uh, a lot to our organization uh, where she uh, is writing curriculum that is a little vanilla that we can go into a community and say, all right, maybe you're not all in. Maybe you don't have the funds. Maybe you don't have the time. Maybe you don't want to invest in this. So here's a little bit of a vanilla curriculum, and you can take a syllabi or a syllabus that we uh, create for you, and you can tweak it, make it your own. And so 
again, that's not the traditional pathway, and you're not going to get this diploma that you can put on your soccer resume and, you know, climb the soccer ladder, but you're educating people and you're providing a better, more positive experience for the kids at the end of the day. And so that's really the primary three that we do there. Okay, so the first of those, U.S. soccer's pathway, uh, has changed a bit in recent years. I've actually done the first parts, <laughs> the first parts of the grassroots thing three different ways now because I did the, um, the F license through the state of Virginia and then I did yeah. the online F license that came out, uh, maybe four years ago and then I was, mm-hmm. um, sad to see they replaced that with, um, I mean, I, I wasn't happy with the, with, with the content but, it seems like as they're putting these things, more of these things online, that that would be an advantage for you. Is that right? Without question. It neutralizes it, right? I don't have to go to anybody. Mm-hmm. I can send my people there. Um, but there's also a human element lost in that, right? You, you, you can't ask mm-hmm. immediate questions if you don't have clarity on something. So it has its ups and downs. Okay. And... How much communication do you have with U.S. soccer about these programs, and has that changed since I know that um, a couple of years ago, uh, in response to all the mandates that had come down, uh, that SAY and AYSO and U.S. Club and U.S. Youth Soccer formed the Youth Council Technical Working Group. Is that the correct name? Um, I may have the, the words jumbled a little bit, but that was, that was the idea. Was, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're on track. That's close. <laughs> Right, yeah, the word, I know the words technical and working and group appear in that, and I know that the organizations are involved. And, and USSSA is also involved with that, I, I know. Um, yeah. So, how is that, how is that council, or that group, uh, change communication with US soccer? Do you feel like you're getting more response now? Uh, yes, yes. And, you know, it's funny because hearing someone outside of that group try to explain it or try to put the acronym on it or or whatever, you know, <laughs> who, who are you guys and, and what authority or power do you have? The answer is we have no authority and no power. <laughs> we, right. we meet, we meet, you know, a, a few times a year and that group was born out of these mandates and, and, you know, at the risk of kind of, you know, calling them out a little bit, a few years ago, they made these changes with with regard to the birth year and to the PDIs and didn't consult me, A, no one ever called me, um, but I, I believe my peers were in that same group where no one was really consulted on any of these changes, the impact that they might have. Um, and so they were just rolled out and kind of, here, you're going to do these things. And that prompted us to get together and say, well, we're, we're going to do our best to implement these things, but we really need to discuss them. Um, so we've had people kind of roll in and out of that group. We've had people from U.S. Youth. We've had people from Major League Soccer. We've had people – there's usually a representative or two from U.S. Soccer there, Ryan Mooney, Caitlin Carducci, to name a couple. Um, some of the referee people have kind of popped in and out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been super positive, I think, in just giving us a voice where we didn't have one before, you know, and, and you know, good or bad, we're, we're kind of able to weigh in. And then it also allows us to be a little more proactive as opposed to reactive 
and implementing these and, and bringing some of them to the soccer public or the people that we serve, you know, the real where, where the rubber hits the road. Um, you know, it's fine to make these decisions at this, you know, what you would say is a top level, but implementing them and really getting them working at the grassroots level is um, a different story. And that's where I kind of, you know, I get a little bit frustrated with that whole thing and where I've kind of pushed back a little bit in those meetings. So, yeah, it's good. So that's positive. Where where we were and where we are today, I, I think it's, it's definitely a positive step and, and where that leads us, you know, in the next year, two, three years remains to be seen. And did when how were your discussions on implementing the birth year mandates? I know that um some some clubs that run their own rec leagues uh said no and they're still on grade level or August to July uh, years at the rec level, and then they change it when um, when they go to to travel soccer. What, what was the uh, discussion like on your end? Uh, I have to say, and some of my peers might disagree with me, but I felt like I was one of the only, if not the only, voice in the room that was the squeaky wheel, because I I immediately went back to my membership and started surveying. You know, let's say we serve 400 clubs, areas, and districts and started asking them, how will this impact your programming? And without naming one specifically, let's just say I have a club in a particular state that serves 3,000 children. They're all school children. They're all elementary kids. These kids do not interplay with anyone else. They play in their own little confined area. They don't participate in tournaments or state cups or anything where they would, you know, be playing on an international calendar or interplaying with anyone all under the age of, let's say, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, this is devastating to their program. You know, you're where they've traditionally said, okay, first graders, we're going to play with first graders, and that calendar runs from fall to spring. It totally throws a wrench in their program. And how they, you know, are impacted or how this would positively influence them to go from January or to January to December is lost on me. I can't figure that out. I can't figure out how that program will be best served being mandated or forced to change. And that's really what I brought up to the group, the technical working group and to U.S. Soccer was saying, I get it. We're going to try to comply with this. But, you know, having a mandate without any punishment or, you know, repercussions for noncompliance, what's going to happen? You know, I've got a lot of these people that I've spoken with that either can't comply or or just telling me they won't comply. So does that mean that, say, soccer just cuts that membership off and I lose that revenue for player fees and now I can't service that community? That makes no sense to me. So go back to my word of reasonable flexibility. How do I reasonably serve this community? This doesn't seem reasonable. So, you know, we're – I guess the – the word that we're using is expectation. We're doing our best to comply. You know, Say Soccer is not pushing back on U.S. Soccer and saying we're not going to do this, but there needs to be some real discussion at a high level of how or, or what compliance looks like with communities like that. So that's that's how I've been a little bit squeaky, and um, 
you know, I, I believe that my peers and those other organizations agree with me, but let's say Kevin at U.S. Club, he might agree with me, but it doesn't necessarily impact his his membership the way that it does mine. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Cause they they deal, um, and I, Kevin Payne's been a guest on this on this podcast before, and he he says that you know their their programs are open to anyone, but they do, they do tend to be travel and sort of the higher end travel. Um, so sure, where yeah yeah again that's it's a different sort of thing. And you you've mentioned schools a few times here, and so I um I wanted to ask about that because that seems unique to me. I don't I don't know of any other programs in US Youth or US Club or AYSO uh that are specifically geared toward the schools. And the, and the way it works in in my town, I our rec league is through a club that is affiliated with US Youth Soccer. Actually they they also have a couple of teams in a US Club Soccer League, but it it's basically a US Youth Soccer club. And mm-hmm. at, at say U six when they're dividing up teams, they'll typically divide them up by neighborhood, and so to, you'll usually a lot of the kids will know each other from school and so forth. But in your case, are are you forming like a, an elementary school second grade team, or are you forming multiple teams at one elementary school? How, how does that work? It would be multiple teams. So let's say you have 60 third graders that want to play. They would be mm-hmm. randomly assigned to a team, but they would all be third graders. They would all be on that calendar year, or not calendar year, I'm sorry, fall to fall schedule because they're all third graders. Um, So it's kind of interesting some of our history as an organization starting in Cincinnati, Ohio. When you look at some of the private schools uh, that are all over Cincinnati, we, we, we organize with a residential district or an organizational district. So if you live in the city of Finneytown, for example, um, you live there, you go and sign up, and you're put on a team. But if you go to Our Lady of Victory, and that's where you go to school, that's where you actually sign up or where you can sign up. Now, they can overlap. That geographical boundary can actually – it's not. it might not be contiguous. It might overlap. So you can actually mm-hmm. live in Finneytown and either sign up for Finneytown Soccer Association, or you can go over and, and play with Our Lady of Victory. So it, it, it becomes a little bit of a, a sticking point where people are saying, well, Our Lady of Victory is basically a selective club or a selective organization within, say, soccer. Because, you know, Our Lady of Perpetual Victory just has the same kids signing up, you know, year in and year out. And, and they become dominant where Finneytown is kind of more of a random selection. So a little bit off topic, but it's it's kind of interesting how that's evolved and how people perceive recreation you know it's it's kind of multi-level so all right well i think it's the frustration that some people have that and i i've raised it before where our excitations now of a soccer parent um are okay it's three o'clock and the school day is ended you need to go get your kid from elementary school or have them in a natural school you know they're maybe there's an after school program that takes care of them then you need to get them back to that school or to a different school at five o'clock or six o'clock for soccer practice because that's where the facilities are. <laughs> right. Uh, so, are you, so are you able to offer, say, after-school programs where you know, say, the school day ends at three, and then you you get a snack, and then at three thirty, you're 
the kids are at practice? In some cases, but that's a little less likely. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think we see that quite as much. Um, as a matter of fact, there there is a really good program with U.S. Soccer Foundation, I believe, called Scores. Yes. If you've ever interacted with them, um, you know, if anybody was looking for that model, I think they've done a tremendous job or traditionally have done a great job at that. But, but you know what? But it, it, it does bring up kind of, and again, maybe we talk about this at another time, but if you if you really think about, um, I don't know, who, who we serve or, or, you know, how soccer has evolved and, and what that looks like, um, that's just one of a thousand different ways to kind of to do this. And, and what recreation looks like in one community is a lot different than what it looks someplace else or what some people perceive as select soccer um, really is not select soccer in another community. It's selective by name because you're selecting the kids, but the talent level in these gaming circuits varies wildly <laughs> from community to community. <laughs> you know, I could take what, and I, and I have a 12-year-old boy going on 13 who's kind of, I, I've coached and I've watched him play and, and kind of go from, say, soccer into U.S. club and Ohio South, and he's playing in these different things. So I've kind of witnessed it where it's like, wow, sticker shock where my local community, say soccer community, charged $60 a kid. We got mowed fields. There were lined fields. The equipment was fantastic. Um, it's managed very well, good referees. And then we went to the the next level up, which was select or what they called select. And he kind of started out in the seventh or sixth tier of selective soccer. And we all kind of looked around at each other and thought, wow, this is $1,200, and it's not a lot different than than what we did three months ago. So you take that team and, and go to your neighborhood or Baltimore and try to compete against what they would call kind of an entry-level select, and it's going to look entirely different, totally different. There's no real um, – continuity or consistency across the country as far as that's concerned, good or bad. Right, and it's one of the things I, I wrestle with a little bit, and uh, you know, it's a point that Sky Eddie Bruce, who runs SoccerParenting.com, has, has brought up, which is that there's no there's no consistent national language. You know, what um, In my area, uh, there's some programs that are called Classic, which are essentially low-level travel. They're sort of like trying to serve that middle ground between recreational and travel, and you go someplace else, and classic might be the cream of the crop, or it might be the, the elite league. Um, so, yeah, there, there is that national uh, vocabulary that's lacking. I, I did want to ask what um, you know. That sounds like one of the one of the topics I want to ask you about, which was the uh, the the pathway. I mean, it, it sounds like it's not necessarily your mission to develop the elite player, but of course. You're going to occasionally find players who really have an aptitude and really have skill, and they. Uh, and so, what is the general pathway for them? Do you have relationships where you encourage those? Can you accommodate those kids within, say, programs, or do you need to say, okay, look, you you need to be going to a development academy, or you need to be going to this elite club? What what's the pathway there? 
good question. It it certainly is not where we live and breathe, but as we have evolved as an organization, uh, we're looking at those things and how do we effectively service maybe not everyone because we're not going to pretend like we're going to have a an NPL or a National Premier League or you know the highest levels of play within U.S. youth soccer. That's you know a mountain too high, and honestly, we don't really want to live in that space. But in the last few years, we have developed what we call Say Premier that has been very successful. And Premier is, is just a name. So kind of try to put that out of your head for a moment and, and not think mm-hmm. of it as Premier as a level of play. Um, and there are good kids that play in the Say Premier. Make no mistake about that. But what the what that flexibility is meant to provide to communities is – an opportunity to develop a playing circuit or, you know, something aside from their normal recreational platform that's going to do two, three, or going to do three things for them. It's going to provide, hopefully, a lower cost for that family, lower travel, and a lower commitment. So go back to what I, you know, my thought about not everybody is all in, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's it's kind of like, we get stuck into this mentality, and I think U.S. soccer is a little bit guilty of this, in that everybody's trying to make the, the starting 11. And it's like, mm, that'd be great. You know, I, I hope my child makes it there. But the reality is probably not. And the same thing goes with collegiate athletics or professional athletics. It's such a small percentage to kind of think in those terms is is absurd. So, you know, if, if you think about – a lot of families, and, and I, I think a lot of families are like this, like my family. I'm just kind of, as my child was young, I was just looking to get him involved in something, get him out of the house. I mean, we are stir crazy. We were changing diapers and feeding this kid. I just want a little sunshine on my face and get out of the house, right? I'm not thinking about that. Na- I'm not thinking about national team. I'm not thinking about development academy. I'm thinking about ice cream and going and having a good time and hoping the coach is not a complete lunatic. I'm really just looking for something positive for my kids. So as your child grows and their social behaviors or their psychosocial behaviors start to change and they become more of a pack animal, and it's like, "Eh, maybe I'm not the best soccer player and maybe I'm not growing out of recreation because I'm getting better, but I'm becoming a pack animal and and I – I want to run with the pack. I've got my friends. I've got Max. I've got, you know, Christian. I've got Hayden. And these are my buddies, and I'm having sleepovers, and I want to be with them. So why randomize that team? Why not let them be selective, but maybe not practice four times a week? Maybe not pay the $1,200. Maybe not be all in. So your commitment level is a little bit lower. So for those families, maybe they want to go hiking. Maybe they want to go fishing. Maybe they want, you know, they, they want to do other things outside of soccer. That's where, say, Premier kind of comes in and provides that reasonable flexibility and an alternative to what the, the pathway that most traditional organizations, let's say Ohio South, says Club ABC is going to have tryouts in the spring, and then we're going to have five supplemental tryouts, and we'll have another tryout in the fall, and you know, we're going to make the top A, B, C, D, E, F teams, and this is the way we're going to do it. We're looking at stepping outside of that and going, good for you. 
we're not saying that's wrong or we're not, you know, poo-pooing that idea. But what we are saying is there needs to be an alternative to that, to the people that just want to play, have fun in a safe environment at a low cost, maybe a little lower travel, because the travel I think most people would agree is a little absurd, and, um, mm-hmm. you know, a little less commitment. So that, I think, you know, how we're finding those players we're giving them just a little bit longer to play in that atmosphere, maybe a little higher level of play, and maybe their their next step would be to go to a, a little higher level of play or a little higher level of commitment as they go, hey, I'm, I'm not so bad at this, or I want that. I want to practice four times a week. I want to be part of that club. I want to go to the next level. So, you know, when, when you think in, in those type of terms, us identifying the talent is kind of absurd too. You know, you're asking me to find a needle in a haystack or, you know, comb through this recreation where I would tell you and your listeners would probably agree, there's no lack of soccer experts out there. And they are constantly trying to drill down to find that next six-year-old. And it's, and to be honest with you, I'll close with this. It's not hard to pick out the kid that's accelerating. You go to any soccer field or any baseball field, basketball field, football field, and you can point out the young man or young woman that is doing better, that is accelerating, that is maturing faster, that is physically faster, stronger, and picking up the game quicker. It's not rocket science. So to say that there's some great scouting network at these younger ages, I don't know. I don't don't know if I'll ever agree with that. (laughs) Maybe a little lost on me. So you, you you mentioned on the site that, that you do have some interplay with other organizations and that's encouraged. So would say a, a safe premier team enter a tournament against uh, teams from other you know, teams from other organizations, or what other sort of interplay opportunities do you have? Yeah, that's it's it's been a really nice development that you know, I've been with Safe Soccer for 18 years, and I can tell you early on with them in, in my operational roles as, as not the executive director, it was more fighting to get their inclusion, to, to become equal. And it was uh, changing U.S. Soccer Federation Bylaws 212 and Bylaw 603, which specifically speak to interplay. So we were instrumental as an organization in changing those bylaws to provide more equality, to provide more inclusion for our members and for ASO and and other organization members to kind of play on the same plane, to be able to interplay with U.S. youth. And and now U.S. club has come along and really knocked down that that barrier where it's almost like, okay, say soccer was a little squeaky wheel, but U.S. club kind of came in and kicked that door down and said, we're here to interplay. So they've they've really uh, done a lot in that. I'd say, you know, the great relationships that we share with USSSA, AYSO, U.S. Club, and, and to some degree U.S. Youth, um, people are a little more used to seeing those different, you know, the alphabet soup and going, oh, well, they're a U.S. soccer member. We'll let them into the tournament. No questions asked. So, you know, really that recognition that we're all in this together and there's no real reason to shut them out of a tournament or playing event. Um, so saying that and out of one side of my mouth, the other side is there's a real way that some of these organizations need to protect their interest. So, you know, let's say you're running a gaming circuit or a league uh, that is all Ohio South. 
it doesn't make a lot of sense to open that up and just let it be a free-for-all. It's administratively messy, trying to track who's done background screens and have standards and things like that so the kids are safe is problematic. So in, in one side, I, it, it should be open and, and all that, but in some situations, it should be closed to that particular member if they're having a state cup, for example. So there are situations where it, it, it really necessitates having a closed <clears throat> a closed system. But, you know, for anyone interested, look up bylaw 603, look up bylaw 212, which really wants all of us organizations to play nice in the sandbox together. Well, I think that was a good thing about the presidential election. I think people – started reading the bylaws a little more carefully yeah so, yeah right <laughs> so so um in fact I'll, I'll close with that then with the um with the presidential election you know won't necessarily ask you to comment on on the results of it but there was certainly a lot of conversations it certainly seemed like everything was open uh for a um it, it, all issues seemed to be on the table at least for a while um uh, do you um, do you feel like that's been a positive for you, and uh, what do you see coming out of all the discussions that came around that? Uh, I, I think that you can't help but have a positive. It's like with any change. It, you, you want to be optimistic. I, I get so aggravated by the people that are negative around this change. Whatever candidate would have won. You want to see something positive in this, and let's latch on to the positive. Let's let's not judge before Carlos has done anything, you know, for him or against him. Let's let's wait and see, you know. Let's let's see what he does, and and let's get you know, let's support him, and and let's let's hope for the best, you know. Be positive. That's that's kind of my vibe as I look at that, and I don't automatically go oh. He wasn't our candidate, or he was our candidate, so ha-ha, we're going to get what we want. That's really not, you know, that, that's not my attitude around it. I, I, I want success for him. I want success for U.S. soccer. I want success for all the other organizations that are part of this. Um, and I want success for, say, soccer. And it should benefit everyone, you know, from the ground up, from recreation to the highest levels of play. Um, that positivity should be something we latch on to. So, you know, that that's kind of my overarching attitude towards the change or towards this, you know, passing of the torches. Um, we should rally around him, and we should kind of wait and see and react a little bit to to what we get in the first 100 days or the first year. And, and it sounds like your organization really doesn't have a lot of enemies. It sounds like uh, I mean, there, there's obviously friction between some other organizations within U.S. soccer. Um, you know, U.S. youth and U.S. club have had a history of kind of a difficult relationship, but it seems like you have pretty good relationships with others, even as you're growing and perhaps potentially taking members away from, from elsewhere. Would you say that, you know, things are pretty good with other organizations right now? Uh, without question, I think if anyone meets me in person, um, and hopefully they get that vibe from this podcast, is that I'm very easygoing, or try to be, and, um, you know, we're, we're really in this to try to better things, and we're not trying to get in anyone's way. We're trying to work with people and not against them. Um, so 
To say that we don't have enemy, enemies is not necessarily true, I guess. I, I think any time that someone comes in and, you know, let's just talk players, for example. That's really the revenue stream for a lot of organizations. If one organization loses 5,000 players to a, say, soccer, and they're charging $10, or $10 a kid, you can do the math on the hit they take to the revenue. And they're trying to subsidize and pay for other things most notably salaries for the people that work for that organization, directors of coaching, operations, administrators, paper shufflers. People are making a living at doing that. So when they lose that bit of revenue, it may not be a reflection on Doug Wood or, say, soccer, but they've just lost revenue, so they can't help but be a little sour about it. Um you know, and we've lost membership here and there, and, and it, it does sting a little bit. But by and large, you know, Say Soccer is an organization that's on path to grow by 10% this year. So we're adding membership. Uh, people are coming to us. They're recognizing, wow, I, 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 they're allowing me the freedom to kind of do things the way that I want to. And if I go to this organization, maybe I don't have that freedom, or maybe it costs significantly more than Say Soccer. So you know, we're we're on a great path of, of growing, but I can tell you that we've been adding clubs. Sometimes we'll add 20 organizations in a year, but I call this the hole in the bucket. Recreation is dying. It is slowly dying. In soccer, it's dying. In baseball, it's dying across the board. Selective organizations, whether their intentions are good or not, they're coming in and they're trying to get that three-year-old and they're trying to you know call it recreation but then they're on the back and they're trying to subsidize other things they're, they're paying for salaries so the more kids they can get into that the better and so you know if i add let's say a, a thousand kids in a recreational program there's always someone coming in and, and they might be very strong at 10 11 12 years old recreationally but over time that organization will shrink to 500 kids because the other 500 went to, you know, low-level selective organizations because mom and dads are feeling that social pressure to to keep up with the Joneses, you know, have the sticker on the car, wear the hoodie, you know, be part of that selective environment. And there's a social pressure to get out of recreation as fast as you possibly can, you know, to get into that. And, and it's totally real. And, but it's, it's slowly killing recreation in that attitude of let's just play. I'm not out to develop the best soccer player that I possibly can at this particular minute. I just want to play, you know. So that's my soccer dad rant, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. It's always always good to have multiple ranting soccer dads on this podcast. Although, last week, although my last guest was a ranting soccer mom, so that that's all, all ranting soccer parents. Uh, voices are welcome here. So thanks very much for for doing this, and uh, I'll probably check back in with you at some point and and see how things are going. As as um, certainly we are in a big a big we're in a big change era, whether people want to admit it or not. Whether the you know no matter who wins the election uh, and so forth. I mean that's you know some people seem to think oh well U.S. soccer rejected change, and I think well you. I don't. I don't think it's up to them to reject. I think change is coming. So I would agree with. Um, I would totally agree with that. Yeah. So. So I'll. I'll be back in touch with you. To see how it goes. Thank you very much for joining us today.
Yeah, thanks for having me on. Talk to you later. So next week, someone else is going to come on here and try to make me feel better about youth soccer. Actually, today's guest did too. I think Safe Soccer sounds like an interesting program. Uh, NetSuite's guest you probably haven't heard of. I've never talked to them before. This is going to be interesting. See you next week. Hey.